Can I tell you that when I got married some 23 years ago, is that right, babe? 23. My goodness. Uh, can I tell you that when I first got married, um, I had expectations that I didn't know were out of alignment uh, when I first got married. I didn't know that uh, Julie's expectations and my expectations weren't in sync. I thought we were in sync. Uh, now, I understand y'all have no idea what I'm talking about because we are a regular couple. Um, that, that normally when you get married, everyone is completely understanding of what each other person needs. But Julie and I, we had to come through the hard path. You know, we had to, I had to learn that, that my desires and my understandings and my expectations were not hers. That threw me for a loop. I wish mine had been like yours. I wish my marriage would have been as pristine and calculated and as expected as yours. You know, te- matter of fact, just teach me one of these days how well you do marriage so good. But you know how it is when you first start marriage and you have all of this love and all this desire, right? And all of these expectations and come to find out that those expectations are not in sync. They're not exactly the same. And, uh, and as I begin to love Julia, I realized that I needed some maturing and I needed some growing. And we had a process. The Lord would weave us together. But, but what I understood through it all was is that the expectations that were uncommunicated were the expectations most unfulfilled. They were the things that let us down the most. And so as we begin to talk and work through our marriage, and sometimes that took years to work through certain aspects, but God was faithful through everything, and he made us stronger and better, and more importantly, we became one closer to each other day by day. But that does not happen until you learn to communicate and say, here's what I see, and here's what I Think. Now you give me some feedback back. Is that familiar to anyone in this room that wears a ring on your third finger left hand? <laughs> you know what I love about y'all? Y'all play so naive. Y'all so naive. All you little sheep, you're so naive. <laughs> so today, I want to talk about this concept in a different way. I want to talk about the body and how we love each other. Because can I tell you, I, I know in my heart, I know in my heart that the Lord is, is growing us spiritually in, in a manner that we're maybe not used to, never haven't seen in a long time before. But as the Lord grows us, I, here's what I know. I know the enemy tried his best, you know, to, to, to divide this church, and that didn't work. And so what he will do is this. He, he'll see how you responded, and he'll see the growth that comes from that, and so he'll play along in the vein that you're running. And so as he sees you grow spiritually, what he'll try to do is he'll run spiritually and try to create division and confusion and frustration. That's just how the enemy works. He always waits to see how you respond, and then he plays his card during that vein. And so I want to address some things that as we grow, um, uh, I believe as a body, but also as individuals, I want us to be ready for that growth. And that growth is making sure that we preserve the integrity of the body, that we preserve the integrity of the love that we have for each other. Because if we don't really love each other, we got, we got some bigger problems. It's one thing to love God, but you have to love each other. And so here my heart today is that as we look at 1 Corinthians 14, in fact, as you read 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, I love all of that together because um, 
Paul is just talking about how important love is, but he's also talking about how important the gifts are and how diverse the gifts are. Um, in fact, you think about it, when, when he talks about how important the body is, uh, you, you just never realize, you know, how important it is that your little toe isn't to you until you thump it, you know. We, we have this bed that somehow, even in the nighttime, it eludes me, and I always feel like when I walk around it, I'm always swinging my leg, because I know it's going to be there, right? But somehow, I still miscalculate, and when I, when I catch that pinky toe, you can ask Julie, I just fall over dead. I just fall over dead because if anything comes out of my mouth or anything hits my arms, I'm going to swing and yell and yelp. And so the best thing for me to do is just to go zombie and just lay over in the bed and just, mm, you know how that toe hurts. That pinky toe. I don't know why, but my goodness, it hurts. I really just punched me in my mouth. But, um, but there's something about... Um, our body being in tune with our body. It's something about me loving a toe that I don't even really know its real function besides maybe that last little bit of, of balance. It's something about the Lord putting us together and understanding how important it is for, the lo- for us to love our body. And so today, our goal is unity. But also, our, our, our goal today is love as well. And you cannot have a true bonded love, a unified love, until you understand expectations. And so I want, I want to look at this and, and the diversity that comes with that. Uh, so with that said, um, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Before we get into that, um, I want to just bring to your attention Matthew 18 verse 20. You guys have heard this before, I'm sure. It's just for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And so what we see here is, is that the word... Um, uh, or actually, I guess another way to say among them means under my rule. I'm sorry, gathered in my name means under my rule. And so when you read this, for where two or three are gathered in my name, literally that, that word simply means under my rule. Where two or three are under my rule, there I am among them. Can I tell you that the goal when we get together is to be under the rule of Christ? Because when you're under the rule of Christ, then our, our problems and, and our needs are really His. And so we submit those issues to him, uh, not just that we're trying to beckon God to our presence, that we need Shekinah glory right here and now because his glory is going to change anything. Really, that's not the issue at all. We're not asking God to come and inhabit a problem and change the situation. We're submitting our situation. We're submitting our will. We're saying, Lord, whatever you desire, whatever you want to do, I may have not done that myself, but, but however you want to accomplish it, I'm okay with it. So let me submit under your rule. And the Lord says, there I am among you when you submit under my rule. And thankfully, when he comes, he changes those things. And so when we understand ourselves to be under his rule, the Lord comes and begins to make um, a move in our life. And we see this type of shadow back in the, the tabernacle. If you're familiar with the Old Testament tabernacle, what we saw was is that the Lord said, I want to be with you. I want to I inhabit your, your, um, your presence. But because of the sin that was in the garden, Adam and Eden, then they, he realized he just couldn't come down in the way he wanted to. He wanted to be worshipped, but there was a certain way that the Lord would come down. And so he told Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle for me because I want to dwell amongst you. And I want you to come and worship me. But you can't just worship me any old way. I desire a certain way to be worshipped. 
And so he gave his people the law, and he gave them instructions about how he were, they were to build the tabernacle and to build the furniture. And he gave them a, a precise law, which we'll be getting into probably here in a couple weeks as the, we'll, we'll explore the Ten Commandments and how it shows us who God is in terms of his character. Um, and so he gives the law and he gives instructions. And as he gives the law and instructions, he tells the people, there's a certain way that I need you to conduct yourself because I'm a, I'm a God of order and I'm a God of obedience. And so when you know that when the Lord comes down, what he wants us to do is he wants us to conduct ourselves in a way that has order and a way that is obedient. Can I tell you that your God is a God of order? One of, the, one of my favorite apologetics that I, I love to use is the... Um, is that of the, the micro variations of, of earth and the atmosphere. Well, the Lord has so put everything in our atmosphere, in our, in our galaxy, really, and he has put it in such a way that if we moved it, just, just I wouldn't say inches because that's, that's not too much in the, in the uh, hemisphere out there, but, but if, you, if, if God moved it just a little bit, or if we moved it just a little bit, it would throw everything out of balance. The Lord has created everything exactly the way he wants it to be. He is a God of pristine and precise order. Now, if God would create all the heavens and the earth on order, don't you know that the Lord loves order in his church? He loves order in his church. Can I tell you that order makes a place inhabitable by God, whereas obedience makes it blessable. In our life, as we arrange our life and live accordingly, even if it be our finances or our health, you will see that God loves order. And when order is in your life, it makes a place inhabitable by God. Order comes about, but then also obedience makes it blessable. So when we talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're talking about how God longs to come and together um, where we ask him to come under his rule, together in his name, and he would respond to a place that's in order and a, and a people who are obedient. And that's exactly what we want. When God comes in this church and he hears our needs, what he wants to do is minister to us. But there is a need for order and there is a need for obedience. And those things work so well so long as you're under his rule. So here is the issue we have at the church of Corinth, chapter 14. The church of Corinth was a, um, it was a, do you, have you ever had a friend who is just brand new saved? And, uh, and they don't know anything else about how to, how to act properly as a Christian. You know, they're just kind of zealous. They're just kind of passionate. I had, a, uh, I had a guy one time, he, boy, he sold, everyone knew him in town. Uh, he was a big-time drug dealer and been around and, and uh, was just kind of a, uh, well, he's just a good old sinner. That's all what it comes down to. But when he got saved, man, God changed his life so fast and so quick. He was just reading Scripture, and he was he like, Pastor Scott, this is the best blank, blank, blank stuff I've ever read in my life, you know, and did not know. Now, now, hey, now listen, brother, now we can't talk like that. You know, that's not how us Christ followers walk. He didn't care about the, the, the right way. He just knew he loved God. And, we would, and then he would give, he would give of his uh, a tithe and offering. He would, God would put up on his heart to give. And he would give more than he should because bills were now lacking. He's like, no, it's good, brother. God's going to take care of my stuff. I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, there's some wisdom and some diligence. that You know, we got to be a good student of everything. We do got bills to pay. We can't just cast all of our pearls out there. And so I love that his heart was so passionate for God. But, but, um, but in that, he lost some understanding about um, 
uh, how you ought to conduct yourself. And so uh, this, is, this is the church at Corinth. Paul's speaking to the church at Corinth, and you have to understand the city of Corinth was a, really like a metropolis. It was a, a melting pot of cultures. People came from all over the world. It was a big uh, seaport, and so they brought their cultures. Uh, they brought their finances. They brought their, their goods. And so this was a, a wide range. In fact, I think, I think at one point I counted there was like 26 temples, I think, that were in the city of Corinth. So that meant 26 different gods or 26 different places of worship. So there was a lot of different spirituality going on. Uh, and as you uh, read into these temples, what we saw was this, is that the people were highly spiritual. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the forms of worship uh, that Roman uh, that the Rome uh, put upon Corinth was mania or insania, was that you would worship violently and crazily, you know? Uh, and that was, that was expressed as a high degree of spirituality. And so you have to know that these people are getting saved out of these other temples, and then they're coming into Christianity, and don't you know that what you came from sometimes comes with you, Right? Uh, sometimes what you used to do and what you used to say until the Lord refines you and renews your mind, those things come with you. And so all of this zealousness, I guess I would say, uh, that, that they came out of and into the Christian faith, they brought with them. And so Paul is hearing them um, conduct church services and act spiritually in a certain way. He's like, guys, you guys are wild. <laughs> Y'all are wild. And, uh, and so they, they brought in different forms. A few of those things were simply this, is that they believed that the, the, the less they controlled themselves, the more spiritual they were. That they could just, uh, because they saw a demon possession in other temples, and so they thought that being out of control and convulsing or speaking in tongues constantly or whatever it was, that those things were spiritual. And Paul's like, no, that's not, that's not spiritual. you you just immature. <laughs> you got some things to work on. And so he begins to deal with these things. And so as we look today, what I want you to understand is the city of Corinth, they were a church that was working with the right tools but using them in the wrong way. And so Paul issues a letter to them and says, guys, let's, number one, let's just remember this, that when we come together, the goal when we come together is to love each other and to love God. And so if you're acting crazy, you're more than likely acting selfish. And so let's make sure that what we do edifies each other. Because our heart is to love each other and that, that God would love each other through us. And so I want you to know in your head that they were working with right, uh, right things but in the wrong way. Also, they could look holy or spiritual or righteous. Let's read 1 Corinthians 14. It's a little bit lengthy, but I think it would be good for us to, to jump into. It says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for, the upbuild, for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring uh, some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? 
So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none was, is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Ever, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you, may be given, uh, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written... By people of strange tongue and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If, there, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Wow. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a, a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, or a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all these things be done for building up. For if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or the most three, and each in turn. And let someone interpret but if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the, project, and the, spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion. Skip down to the last two verses. He says, So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all these things should be done decently and in order. There it is for us. So what I want you to understand is a few things we're going to tackle this morning, is that what is the reason for the gifts? How do you validate a gift? How do you know if that's from God or not from God? If you've grown up in church like I have, you know there's been times someone gave a message in tongues and you were like, mm, I don't know about that one. You know, I don't, I don't feel like that was of the Lord. I feel like that was of Larry. I don't know if Larry's in here or not, but Larry, I'm not talking about you, but uh, you, you, you know there's times. And then there's times where the Lord would speak, and it, it oh, man, it spoke right to you. Um, and so I, I want to just speak to these issues today because, again, the goal is simply this, is if we understand God's word and, our, and his expectation for us as a body, then we understand how to love each other, that these gifts that God gives us really are for uh, in equipping us to supernaturally love each other. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 1. We'll break this down. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. The first thing he says is simply this, pursue love. 
That that is the point. That is the goal. That all of these gifts that God gives us is so that we might be able to love each other and pour into each other. Just like my pinky toe, when it's in need, I have other gifts. I have other abilities that will help my toe feel better because it's in need. And so God says, I'm going to equip us back in chapter 12. I'm going to equip you with different gifts. But the goal of those gifts it's so that you might be loved and nurtured supernaturally the way God would desire that. That word love right there is actually a word that we see in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Notice that that's a sacrificial love. It's placing others before yourself so that when you're acting in a supernatural gift, the goal is so that you don't look spiritual. The goal is so that somebody else might be loved and edified. That is the goal. He says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Paul raises uh, the ability they have to love and encourage each other by using a spiritual gift. He says, you have this gift and your ability to love other people is supernatural. That is, that you can love them beyond your capacity. Some of us, God has given us the ability to love people and it's a huge capacity. And some of us, we got this little bitty pea, you know, whole size of a capacity to love other people. And God is saying, I, whatever you need to love other people beyond your ability I'm going to give to you supernaturally and that's going to come in different gifts especially that you may prophesy again remember the time here in the context is that these people were trying to uh, use their tongues and even interrupting themselves with the utterance of another tongue so that they could look spiritual because that's the understanding they came from in other temples they were they were crossing over other forms of worship and so he was saying, it's great that you speak in tongues, but prophesy because that's going to bless you guys better. You're going to hear the word of God and it will edify you. And so what then is the reason for the gifts? And that is simply that supernatural gifts equip us to supernaturally love others. So when, when Paul says, I desire that you have the gifts what Paul is saying is, is not I want you to be this mature, uh, um, man, you are, you're a five-star Christian. You know, you're, you got all these gifts in your bag. You're powerful. That's not it at all. We're not, this ain't a game we're playing. You're trying to level up. What he's trying to say is this, is that I want you to love each other way beyond your ability to do. And so to do that, the Lord is going to give you these gifts. And so if you, were, if you will seek the gifts Really, it's the seeking of God's heart and desire for us to love each other and to use those gifts to do just that. I take it as this, that God is saying, I want you to supernaturally love others, others the way I supernaturally love you. So let me ask you, does anyone in here need a supernatural help in loving other people? Yes, as your pastor. I've already met a few of you, and I said, Lord, I need help loving them. You just don't know who you are. Yes, because we just don't have what we need, right? Can I tell you, I need supernatural abilities to love my wife, and I love my wife, but I want her to have more than I'm able to give. And so when I come into this church and I meet with you guys and I hear the things that you're going through in life and I hear the needs that you have, I pray, oh God, would you give me things that will help me supernaturally love them and give them more than I am able to give on my own. So how does the gift of tongues play a part in all of this? How does it equip us? Number one, the gift of tongues in the church setting is unique in the sense that it is a sign for the unbeliever. You know, I, I, I remember going to church uh, growing up, and every time I brought my friend, that's when the message in tongues would come out, right? You didn't want your friend to come because you, you thought, oh, Lord, if, listen, I got, I, got, I got Joe with me today, and Joe, 
Joe, he don't do tongues, Lord. He don't do tongues. I just need you to be busy doing other salvation things, I, you know, some healing stuff. But, Lord, please don't let, please don't let Sister So-and-so in the choir. You know who I'm talking about, God. Don't let her off the day. Take the kettle off the pot, I mean, off the stove. And so, uh, but that didn't matter because, you know, that tongue was going to come out. And Joe was going to look at me and like, man, I don't know about your church, you know. And I always used to think, Lord, how are we going to save people when you're constantly making them weirder and, and running them out of the church? And then I learned this particular passage, and it really changed my thinking altogether. Go with me to 14, 21 through 22. He says, in the law it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. And so we get this particular quote, this passage coming out of Isaiah chapter 28. Here's what's happening in Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah is prophesying, and as he's prophesying, he's telling the people about God's uh, impending judgment and that they need to repent. You know, Isaiah was that prophet. And so they were laughing at Isaiah, actually, and they were saying, he speaks to us small truths, little things. Anyone can understand what he has to say. We talk about greater, deeper things. And then um, he says this in verse 11. So now God will have to speak to his people through foreign oppressors who speak a strange language. God has told his people, here is a place of rest. Let the weary rest here. There is a place of quiet rest, but they would not listen. So the Lord will spell out his message uh, for them again, one line at a time, one line at a time, a little here, a little there, so that they will, so that they will stumble and fall. They will be injured, trapped, and captured. And what Isaiah is simply saying here is this. He's saying, I've been trying to prophesy and speak to you and tell you what's going to happen if you don't change your ways. But you mocked me saying, oh, precept upon precept, line upon line. You, you say small things, Isaiah. And so now God quips back and says, no, 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 you don't understand. Since you don't understand the simple things in truth, I'm going to bring oppressors near. And when you hear foreign language speaking, you'll know my judgment is upon you. So what he's trying to tell them is this, is since you won't repent with a plain-speaking prophet, I'm going to bring people who don't speak your language. And when you hear that, they are, hear that they're close by, then know that judgment is near because I have brought them to judge you. So what do we, what do we take away from that? What we see is simply this, is the Lord tries to speak to us first and our hearts directly, but some of us, don't take that so well. And so the Lord reminds us that if we don't listen to his word in a simple way, that the gospel can be presented in a clear and simple way, and if we don't respond to that, that there is judgment that is coming. And the Lord says that just like Israel, who when they heard foreigners, because when they heard foreigners, that meant they were under threat. And so he said, just like when they heard foreigners who brought in a foreign language, that foreign language was a, a sign to tell you that I am not okay with your life. And that judgment is coming soon. So can I tell you that when we hear a message in tongues, what we're hearing, number one, is first off is that that tongue is for the unbeliever. And the Lord is wanting that unbeliever to know this. That tongue that you hear, you're not supposed to feel good about that. 
It's to remind you that judgment is coming. It's to remind you that you are far from me, that there is a distance there. And you know the funny thing is, is every time I talk to one of my friends, they always said that. They said, I can't stand when, when your church has those tongues because I feel uncomfortable. And I would say, I, me, me too, me too. But it was always way more uncomfortable for them. I knew it was coming. I just felt uncomfortable for my friend. But the goal was simply this. The goal was uncomfort. That was the goal. Because the Lord was telling you, I love my people. But if you don't listen to me, that I'm going to bring foreign people close to you so that you will know that you and I, we're not on the same wavelength. We're far from each other because you're not listening to me. And so long as you hear that tongue, know that judgment is coming. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 28, 47 through 49. This is what Moses said concerning Israel a long time ago, way before Babylon ever came or Assyria ever came. He says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies, <clears throat> you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and in thirst, in nakedness and lack everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand. Moses spoke this long before. Israel had already split into two different kingdoms. He said, this is what will happen if we don't abide in the word of God. Jeremiah prophesied this in Jeremiah 5, 15. He says, behold, I'm bringing against you a nation from afar. O house of Israel, declares the Lord. It is an enduring nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. And so these principles that we see is this, is that the Lord is simply saying, tongues is a sign to the unbeliever that one is far from God and that judgment is due. So when we hear tongues in a service, we need to know the Lord is speaking in a hostile manner. Not that he is hostile, but he is allowing that tension to be there to say to the unbelievers, Hey, me and you, we're not right. We need to get right. But the great thing is, the Lord just doesn't leave it there. He'll interpret that message to speak into our lives, consolation and encouragement. So, so from there, what do we see? Does, does tongues bring about salvation? Does it produce? No. Tongues is just indicating to us that we need to pay attention. So can I tell you, as a church, when we hear a message in tongues, what is our response? Well, number one, your response should be this. Lord, somewhere is, a, is, a, is, is someone who needs to be your child. They've not claimed the spirit of adoption just yet, but I'm praying, Lord, that their heart would listen to you and be quickened to you, and they would respond to you, and those who have not called you Lord will call you Lord. That is our first response in prayer, whoever you are, wherever you're at. We want the Lord to reach out, but just know the message in tongues does not bring us into salvation. He said that earlier on. It doesn't produce. It doesn't lead them into a place of salvation. And so, so what does? How, does? how does the word of the Lord accomplish those things? Well, look at Acts chapter 2. Since the tongue does not produce that, what does produce that? Acts chapter 2, verse 4. We know they were all together together. They were filled with the Spirit. Uh, with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We see that there. But these tongues that people were speaking were not the tongues that led the men to repentance outside. We saw that in Acts 2.37. Now when they heard that this, that they, I'm sorry, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. What was this? Peter was preaching, right? So we had tongues that came out, and then what happens? Well, well Peter begins to preach the gospel. 
And so what moves men's hearts? Preaching the gospel moves men's hearts. But can I tell you that tongues was waking people up saying, well, I don't know what this is. This, these men are drunk. What are, what are they talking about? So tongues was allowing them to know that something is stirring, something is happening, but it was the preaching of the gospel that produced a salvation in men because they learned, what should we do now? We've heard this message because no one understands what we ought to rightly do in terms of God by hearing a tongue, but it is the proclaiming of the gospel that Peter preached that allow us to understand this is a good thing, that this message is a good thing, that this tongue and the interpretation and this, this um, uh, proclaiming the gospel is something that leads men into salvation. So how do we validate that gift when it comes out? What do we say? What, how do we know that this, a, a tongue is a right thing or a wrong thing? How do we validate that message? Can I tell you that it's not just the what that's being said. You, you know, when you hear the word come out, you can tell if if that is a word of the Lord, just by the what, but can I also tell you by the how. It's important, and I would just say, if this is your gift, let me just help you along. If you speak on behalf of God, whether it be a tongue or whether it be an uh, interpretation, you need to know that in your mouth are the words of the king. You need to understand that. And so that when we hear it, we are to receive it as this is the words of the king. This is no small spiritual exercise. We are hearing literally the king of kings and lord of lords who reigns in heaven on his throne has put in our mouth his words. And his interpretation is us understanding that. So what we say is also important in how we say it. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 6 through 9. 14, 6 through 9. He says, now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, this is important, such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking to the air. So the How? In Paul's day, there was a position or a spokesman or herald we call the Kiruks. And the Kiruks was simply this. It was a job description that we gave to people who would communicate on behalf of the king. Their job would be to go in to the king, and he was to conduct himself as a king, as a king would all throughout the year so people would have his respect uh, in his honor. And so when he would step out on the balcony or he would commute on behalf of the king, he would go into the king first. He would take a pencil and pen. He would write down everything the king would say. He would listen to not what the king was saying, but he would also listen to the heart of the king. And his job was to go out there and communicate to the people not just what the king was saying, but also very importantly, how he was saying it. Because that emotional impact of the king needed to be mirrored. So what I want you to know is this, is that when, when the Lord gives you a message to speak, he'll be sure to match the heart with the message. It is just as important, or I would say it's just as much as our duty to convey the heart of the king as it is the message of the king. If you, if you don't understand that, let me just give you an example. Men, imagine coming home and telling your wives, I love you. I love you. No, you, no, you be quiet. I love you. I love you. Woman, I love you. That's what, that's what I said. That's what I said. Girl, one. Girl number one. You come here. I love you. I love you. Listen to me. I love you. I don't know that. I want dad to come home. Because I know what he said. 
But how he said it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, you know? It's just like when you say, now, if you don't stop that, I'm going to spank you. <laughs> that's good, Dad. That's good. That's good. I'm serious. Don't let me count to 1,000. I'm going to come get you. No. When we say what we say, we have to match how it's said, true? And so we don't ever hear the Lord speak out of character, ever. You'll never hear the Lord say, repent or burn. He's not going to say that. He's not going to say that. So <clears throat> when we validate the gift, we have to ask ourselves, is, is this the heart of the king that's speaking? Is the message in the heart coming from the king? Paul says this. He says, when the bugle is played, how do we know if it's charge or charge? How do we know if it's, it's retreat? Or it's retreat because when he plays the note, he has to match the demeanor and the intensity of the message that's being communicated. So we validate this gift that when the Lord comes to us and he may say in a message, I love you, he is not going to be angry about it. Have you ever had the Lord tell you in an angry way that he loves you? No, and there's, in fact, there's times when the Lord should have been angry and he came to me so soft. And he said, Scott, I love you. I know that what you expect me to say right now should be hard, and maybe you do deserve that, but I am a loving God. And when the Lord encourages us and challenges us, neither is he angry then. But when he talks about how we are not listening to his word, or he speaks to our culture or our time and our day, and he's done with sin, and how sin breaks his heart because it damages his people, we might hear the intensity of his wrath in that message, but when he's encouraging us, when he's lifting us up, when he's setting vision in front of us, reminding of his faithfulness to us, that how he says it is all as important as what he says. How do we interpret the what? 1 Corinthians 14, 5 says this, Now I want you to all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So what Paul simply states here is, is this, that the one who speaks in an intelligible language, prophecy, is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets it. Then that equates, interpretation equates into a prophetic message. So what I want you to know is this, is that prophecy is greater than tongues. Unless you interpret tongues, then it becomes a prophecy that had the same value, the same purpose. So then what then do we expect of an interpreted message? What, what is it supposed to happen? He says in 14, uh, 14 verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So when we hear an interpreted message, which then becomes prophecy, what are we supposed to expect from it? Encouragement and consolation. So I would tell you that an interpreted message is a prophetic message, and it builds the church through encouragement and consolation. A great example of this is simply in Revelation 3, verse 14. The Lord rebukes the church of Laodicea, but notice how he does this. Even though he's rebuking, he still does it in a way that's encouraging and consoling. Verse 14 says in uh, Revelation chapter 3, And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works. 
you are neither, co you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Can I tell you that if the Lord says something like that to us in here, I'm worried. That the Lord would say, I'll spit you out of my mouth. That I take that as a strong rebuke. A strong rebuke. But even when it's a strong rebuke, notice what he says. For you say, I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Still rebuking. I counsel... I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love. Who's he talking to? Lukewarm people who are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come uh, into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. And I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. So what we see in this is Jesus speaking to this church. He is reproving them, rebuking them, saying this is wrong, 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 wrong. But then he says, but let me tell you, I'm reproving you because I love you. I love you. And I'm going to encourage you to hear my voice. I want you to know that I'm at the door knocking. And so when we hear that word of God, remember that we don't just validate how it was, how it was said, but we also are looking for the what has been said. And even if it's a rebuke, if God speaks to his church to rebuke us, then we're still listening for words of encouragement and consolation because that's how our master speaks. So can I tell you, you said, well, Pastor Scott, you know, I don't know. I, you know, when, I, when, I, when it comes out, it just comes out. No, it don't come out that way. Can I tell you that you can, you can decide whether or not to exercise your gift. When I was at MacArthur, for a stint there, the Lord was constantly just using me to speak tongues or, 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 or to interpret. And uh, it really got to the point, I, I just told the Lord, I don't want to do this no more, Lord. Like, let somebody else do it. I am not the only person in this church. And I remember walking down the aisle one day. I came in late from a song. Could you guys come on up? Um, I, I came late down from a song and... And uh, as I was walking down, I just got into my pew, just got into my pew, and the Lord said this. And I was like, oh, Lord, I'm not even spiritual yet. Like, I haven't even sang a song. I haven't done nothing. Like, I, I just jumped in on the bridge, Lord. We were just here. And, uh, and it was just on my heart. It's this guy. It's this. It's this. And I was like, no, somebody else. Somebody else. Somebody else. Lord, there's 600 people here. Use them. I, I am not the only one. Scott, you, now. Scott, you said you wanted to be obedient, and here I am testing your obedience and you're failing. Right now, Scott. Okay, Lord. Can I tell you, can I tell you that it does not require you to be in the mode? The Spirit is always subject to the prophet. The Lord spoke to me, and I knew right then, okay, Spirit, it's time to go. We got to get in the conduit. We got a word to say. And so when, when we, we are used by God, we don't have to be travailing in prayer. The Lord might use you right away. But also, the other hand is, is that there is a time to give a tongue, and there is a time not to give a tongue. Both of those rely on the principle that the Spirit is subject to the prophet. You know, like if I'm preaching right now, don't speak out of tongue. Because God doesn't interrupt His Word with His Word. 
And so there are principles we, we, can, we can make very clear. So, so understanding is that not only are we validating how, but the what, and then if we are used of the gift, that there is a time. Remember, your God is a God of order. God just doesn't flippantly give messages. He knows the heart of the people. He knows the time he wants his word to be released. And so can I wrap up in just saying this? Y'all get anything today? I'm going to get all kinds of emails I know already this week. Scott, I, we got we to we we do lunch, we got to do breakfast. Let's go. I'd love to have a Bible study. I want you to know this. Remember, number one, a message in tongues that is interpret, interpreted possesses the same purpose as a message in prophecy. A message in tongues that's interpreted possesses the same purpose as a message in prophecy. And a message in prophecy seeks to console and encourage the body towards change no matter how great the rebuke. You know, growing up, I asked myself, you know, what's the best way I can understand the difference between tongues and, and, and all of that happens all together? Can I just tell you, what I have seen is simply this. Tongue is the indicator. Prophecy is the communicator. Okay? Tongues is an indicator of two things need to happen. One, you need to be praying, ask God. Somewhere in this place, there's an unbeliever that needs to hear your word. I pray, God, their heart is quickened right now to be ready to hear your word in just a second. Second thing is this, Lord, do you want me to say the word? Do you want me to interpret? And if you're giving the message in tongues and no one else is interpreting, can I tell you that it's your responsibility to interpret? If a message goes out and, and, and there's no interpretation, then it is always back on the person who gave the message to interpret. What you talking about, Pastor Scott? It's in your Bible right there, chapter 14, read that. It's our responsibility. And so I would just remind you that there is a great responsibility in that gift. I love to hear the Word of God come directly from His mouth, but there is a great responsibility when it comes forth. We don't give it just because we're emotional. You wait. You wait on the Lord. God, is this you? God, is, is this not what you're saying, but God... Oh, God, I pray, quit me with how you say it. Somewhere in this world right now, someone in this room right now needs to hear a word. And I pray that even though they may not hear what I'm saying because I'm giving tongues, I pray that they would hear the heart behind it. Oh, God, as I interpret this message for the body, I pray you would give me your heart. That they would, when, they, when they hear that tongue interpreted, that they would know that their Father in heaven is calling home to a lost son. That is the heart of our king when he moves through the gifts in this church. Tongues is the indicator. Prophecy is the communicator. Tongues leads you to respond vertically. Prophecy leads you to respond horizontally. Today, as I close, I want to do a few things for an altar. I, I want to pray that God use us. Fill us with your spirit. Teach us, Lord, to steward your gifts. But I also want to pray for people who have special needs. And so if the um, uh, prayer team would come at this time, we're going to have a special time of prayer. We want to pray with you. Maybe you need prayer over your body. Maybe you, maybe you need a prayer over a financial provision. Uh, whatever it, it might be, we want to pray with you. But I also want to just encourage you today, body, is simply this. Help me. Join me in praying. God, equip us supernaturally to love each other supernaturally because we need it and I'll tell you here's why we need it because as the Lord brings in lost sheep 
they have to see something in us that is far beyond what they've ever experienced. And my hope and prayer is simply this, is that when they come to those doors, that the love of God is so supernatural that it would create a desire and an intensity to say, I need to be at that church because there's something there that is for me. And so I would just call you to prayer today and say whether you come down to the altar or you're at your seat, you turn and kneel there, I pray this for me. God, give us supernatural gifts to supernaturally love people. And then God, give us the wisdom to exercise those gifts. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and as I, as I close in prayer, if you have a need that we can pray with you about, anything it might be, come down, let us pray for you. And then seek God for supernatural love and supernatural gifts. Lord, we love you. We ask, God, that you would anoint us, God, today. God, to be your body, to be your hands and feet. Lord, to be your mouth, Lord, when you call upon us. Pray, God, you would, you would condition our heart, God, to receive your word. Pray, God, you would condition our lives, Lord, to exercise your word. Pray as you bring people into this house, God, that you would use us to supernaturally love people. God, who have been abused and hurt, mistreated, God, we want to be a place where we would nurture them. I pray you make us good stewards of that love, good stewards of that honor, God, you would give it to us. And I pray, God, as we open these altars, God, that those people who need any needs in their life, God, whether it be financial, health, emotional, or just a direction or decision in life, God, I pray you would give us words to speak into their life. We love you, Lord. Cover us today in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you come?